What's going on, everybody? It's that time again. The All Sooners Post Game Podcast, episode 154. And it's a car pod. Car pod. We are hurtling back toward Oklahoma. It is 8.41 p.m. It feels like 3 a.m. because it's just blackness all around us as we drive back from Ames, Iowa, back to Oklahoma. We left like... I don't know. How long ago did we leave? Uh, what? Left Ames? 7.30. Okay, so we've been on the road for like an hour. Screaming in the restaurant parking lot at 7.30. We, we means you. <laughs> uh, we had a hard time finding a place to get some food. I was dying of hunger, but we got it situated. And we're on the road back. We got rushed out of Ames a little bit. We were getting the stink eye. Uh, on the way out there while we were filmed the post-game wrap-up as well as just getting all of our stuff done. So we didn't record the pod at the stadium like we usually do. Um, so it's going to be audio only, but it's still certified fresh. We're still in Iowa. Uh, Oklahoma won on Saturday, 27-13 to to beat Iowa State. Cyclones aren't very good, but Oklahoma did what, they, what you're supposed to do to bad teams. They shut them down offensively. Iowa State does have a good defense. Oklahoma did enough. And the Sooners get a win and, uh, you know, make it two in a row, five and three. Yeah, five and three. Um, they play Baylor next week. Baylor's five and three. So that end of the conference standings is starting to shape up a little bit. Uh, I like what I saw out of Oklahoma today. We talked about it in the postgame wrap-up. Um, complimentary football, offense helping the defense by staying on the field for five and a half minutes at a time. Defense helping the offense by getting turnovers. And special teams carrying the load with uh, two field goals by Zach Schmidt, a touchdown run by Zach Schmidt, and two 60-yard punts in the fourth quarter by by uh, Michael Turk. That uh, one got Oklahoma off the back uh, of the goal line, and the other pinned Iowa State on their goal line, and became a eventually became a both became interceptions. So yeah, complimentary football has arrived in Norman, Oklahoma. Yeah, I'm not sure what more you could ask for at a trip from Ames, right? You got uh, an Oklahoma team that established the run. They ran the ball really well. Eric Gray, your primary back, finishes five yards a carry. Uh, Oklahoma fans got what they've been asking for for years, which is an offensive coordinator who didn't abandon the run game too, right? Like uh, Jeff Levy stuck to his guns, continued to run the football, special teams touchdown, the three picks like who've mentioned. You got a Matt Campbell freakout showing that he still can't figure out how to coach a team with actual talent. Like, I, I don't know what else you want out of a trip to Ames. The only real negative is Oklahoma, Dylan Gabriel, and Marvin Mims specifically didn't connect on two or three deep balls that really would have busted this game open. But that's what the elite teams do. And, and we know that this version, this 2022 Oklahoma team is not an elite team. Can they still finish? Nine and three, sure, who knows? The Big 12's all over the place, but as far as you know, calibrating your expectations for what this team can be, a really, really good performance in what I think everyone all week long had kind of labeled, like if Oklahoma wins this game, like it's gonna look ugly at times, and that's okay, because Iowa State's defense is that good. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, and we, we said this on the wrap that we shot as well, which you can watch on allsooners.com, and we talked about it after the Kansas game. I think you have to be fair in that I think we all don't think Iowa State's very good. I mean, they're quite possibly the worst team in the conference. Um, they're still winless, you know, obviously now 0-5 in Big 12 play. But at the same time, all those things are true, and Hunter Deckers is not great, and, you know, uh, Iowa State's not going to win a lot of games. They probably aren't going to get to bowl eligibility. All those things are true. The reality is that going into this game, it was a one-point spread, um, we all picked Oklahoma to win on our official game picks on Friday, but we all felt dicey about it. I mean, we, we all picked close games. I mean, uh, I admitted as much in my you know game pick that I feel like I could pretty much go either way. I'm going to take Oklahoma because I think there's a little bit better. But, you know, the fact that it was in Ames, their defense is really good. So while I don't think we think Iowa State is very good, you have to be fair in that going into the game, we if you had said Oklahoma wins by two touchdowns, I think we all would have been like, oh, good job you know what I mean so it's one of those kind of things you have to kind of you know walk that line I guess of I would say it's not good they probably could have won this game by more probably should have won this game by more but at the same time going in everybody thought it was losable so I mean you got to take two touchdown win on the road all those things considered 
got to be okay with it. Yeah, Brent Venable said it played out almost exactly like we would have hoped. I think were his words at the start of the post-game press conference. And I think he's right about everything except what Ryan mentioned, which is a dropped possible touchdown pass on the first play of the game. First play of the game? First drive. Uh, by no, it was first play. First play. No, by Mark for a holding, so it wouldn't matter. Oh, that's true. That's true. So, uh, But Marvin Mims let one slip right through his hands, which is super rare. He breaks free uh, in the second half, wide open, uh, and Dylan overthrew him. Okay, and then I think there was one where he kind of underthrew. There's actually two where he kind of underthrew him. Uh, we're talking Mims, and it just didn't. Uh, the DB was able to catch up to it a little bit. Not a terrible underthrow, just uh, didn't outthrow the DB. And then he also did, had a similar throw to uh, Theo Weiss. So yeah, this game could have been. A more than a 14-point spread. I think Oklahoma fans would would probably agree with that. If you're beyond 14, if you're outside of 14, uh, you go on the road against. Uh, remember, we said it leading up to the to the week, and we said it all week. And and the fact of the matter is, this was a Iowa State defense that led the led the Big 12 in rushing, passing, total defense, and scoring defense. All of the Big Four they led. And, frankly, they held Oklahoma to fewer yards than what the Iowa State offense, which is terrible, actually gained. So, Iowa State, yeah, probably the worst team in the Big 12, still winless, now at, what, 0-5? Yeah. But, uh, overall, I think Oklahoma's going to take this win. Just think about where Oklahoma was going into Kansas two weeks ago. They'll absolutely take this win. Yeah, and we mentioned... Rightfully so. All the great things we said about the Iowa State defense, they're good, right? The Iowa State defense is good. It's the other side of the ball that can't block, can't run, and Deckers is just young and inaccurate when he's kind of under pressure. But I think a lot needs to be said of the Oklahoma defense because, yes, it finished a two-touchdown game, things like that. The Sooners, even though they only went into the halftime you know, in the locker room, up 13 to six, absolutely dominated the first half. It felt like one-way traffic to uh, dip into my, uh, you know, soccer knowledge. One-way traffic. Iowa State's one real, really nice drive. Um, Oklahoma's defense even bowed up and forced a field goal there inside the red zone. And then when Iowa State goes down the field, their only good drive in the second half, really, uh, to, to pull it within seven. The response was massive. Oklahoma's offense kind of puts a couple of duds out there as far as uh, two drives that, that left the defense exposed. And they went out there and Justin Broyles picks one off over the middle of the field. And then Danny Stutzman's in the right spot for Deckers to, to hit him on a nice little interception that Stutzman rumbled all the way down to the two yard line. So this was an OU defense that we talked about through the month of October and dipping back into um, September with the K-State game starting there. It felt like the OU defense is of old, right? Where they're fine, they're fine, they're fine. One bad thing happens, and then suddenly the de- they, they forget how to play football, right, for the rest of the game. That's not what happened. They, they had a drive where Iowa State had a couple of good play calls uh, into blitzes. They, they hold tall for a field goal, and then they come up with those two picks right at the end of the game that, that really iced the game and, and sealed it up for Oklahoma. So all sides of the ball had their moments right it was the offense just slowing it down time of possession playing that game in the first half and then the defense with key stops on on big plays in the second half so look i mean again it's it's not what oklahoma fans are accustomed to not the standard they're going to hold them to but it's real real improvement coming off a of bye week which who wrote about that brent venables his defense is historically really really good coming off bye weeks yeah, so a lot to like, like you guys were saying, and um, let's, let's dive into it before I say anything else. Let's, let's dive into each side of the ball um, in, individually like we typically do. We'll start offensively. Um, hey, let's start with special teams. I was going to get special teams in there. You want to start with special teams? I think we should. I think they were that good. So special teams, um, I mean, what an unbelievable turnaround from a year ago where um, – I mean, was OU? Uh, yeah, I'll say OU was bad on special teams. Yeah, very bad, very bad. Um, it wasn't an emphasis. We talk about it all the time. Refusal to return punts and kicks. Um, had a punt blocked in the Texas game. Gave up that really big kickoff return against Oklahoma State. I mean, big moments that changed games. I know they won the Texas game, but 
Fumbled punt. Fumbled punt. Yeah, down inside the five-yard line at Bedlam. Well, they recovered a fumbled punt inside the five. Is that what you were talking about? They exchanged them. Oh, you're right, Air Gray. You're right. I don't know. That game, yeah, that game had a lot going on. You're right. Yeah, Air Gray muffed that one. Um, a lot uh, a lot of times special teams bit them in the in the you know, bit them in the in the butt. Obviously the infamous final question that Lincoln Riley ever took as the head coach of Oklahoma from our own John Hoover. Would you consider hiring a special teams coach? He said no. That was his whole answer. I think I don't think he said anything else, right? It was just no. He was being totally truthful. He would not consider it because he was leaving the next day for USC. <laughs> no. He said no. Uh, but it was, a, it was a talking point for us. And it kind of got lost in the shuffle because there were so many other crazy things going on. But it was always in the background. We always brought it up. Uh, the special team stinks. This year, Brent Venables comes in. He actually hires a special teams coach, Jay Nunez, who Brent credits every time it comes up. Every time it comes up, he brings him up. And Zach Schmidt, I remember we talked to him, I don't remember when it was, after the second or third game of the year, and he talked about how great it was to have Jay Nunez and a, and a coaching staff that actually cares about special teams. He really stressed that. And you're seeing that play out right now. They're good on special teams. Well, and, and not only that, so the, good on special teams. If you just talk about fake field goals specifically, this is the second one we've seen this year, right? Obviously Texas and then Iowa State. It's the... It's two different fake field goals, and we talked to Zach Schmidt after the game, and he basically said that that changes week to week. All Nunez does is Coach Nunez goes in and just dissects the other team's field goal unit and schemes up different fake field goal looks that they think they can that they can implement. And so this particular play was quite literally put in over the last two weeks based tailored specifically to how Iowa State themselves covers field goals. So it's just, we know that all the coaches are involved, right? Brent Minimals talked about this during the spring is that they start practices with special teams. Every single coach has something to do with special teams as far as the on-field guys. But when you bring in an analyst whose whole job is special teams and you actually empower them to do things like, hey, you've got two weeks until we play Iowa State, can you come up with a different fake field goal play so that we're giving him a different look? And then Zach Schmidt also talked about he got some extra coaching points that he feels like he could have scored on the fake field goal in the Cotton Bowl if he hadn't have taken off running so quickly because a Texas defender keyed in on him. And so that's something that Nunez highlighted is that you have to wait a beat to make sure before you take off and get going, that way it really sells the field goal. So all of that attention to detail would have never ever happened under the last regime because they did not care about special teams it was please fair catch the ball and get the ball back to my offense as fast as possible and nobody screw anything up otherwise i agree uh, lincoln was a little bit lazy when it came to special teams because like ryan just said he thought his offense was good enough to take over at the 15 yard line the plus 15 or the minus 15 he didn't care he thought it was uh it thought this this game is all about offense doesn't care how many team how many points the other team scores because it doesn't matter if your defense stinks if I can outscore you right so uh, yeah the the fact that Oklahoma is emphasizing special teams um, Zach Schmidt said tonight among other things he said we rep that he said what you know the question was something like uh, how surprised were you to get that call and he said not surprised at all because we repped it a million times in practice I wonder why it worked so well because they actually spent time in practice working on it amazing. I know. What a concept that is. It was a huge day for OU special teams. Uh, I mean, won them the game, I mean, in, in, a, in a sense. I mean, you could make that argument. Zach Schmidt makes two field goals, has the fake field goal for the touchdown, like we were referring to, which Michael Turk threw it to him, the holder, who's also, you know, obviously the punter who's doing the holding. And Michael Turk had two, especially. I mean, he had, he had six punts in the day, but he had two, especially, that were north of 60 yards, two inside the 20, and they resulted in big defensive. Uh, stops that? Did they both result in interceptions? Yeah, both, both were interceptions. I mean, that's unbelievable. Just right there, Zach Schmidt and Michael Turk, two guys that you know, they're specialists. They're the kickers. You know, they you know they're looked a little differently by a lot of coaching staffs, but this team empowers them. You know, to try that kind of thing, and you see the impact they could have on the game. So, definitely a really big day for OU special teams. I looked at the uh, so so you guys know by now our our Friday coverage is uh, you know big one big thing three keys to the game and then our, our picks and then our saturday morning coverage is is uh, x factors and and players who we think could be under the radar i was lucky in that i nailed uh i nailed turk 
I nailed Zach Schmidt. I nailed uh, going for it on uh, fake field goals and playing the field position game. I nailed all that because two things. Iowa State plays really good defense, and you have to fight for every yard. And the other thing is Oklahoma has the ability now with punt returns and kick returns that they didn't have before to make a difference in the game. You look at Iowa State's punt returns, they were ninth in the Big 12 in punt returns and I think 10th in kickoff returns or, or something like that. Maybe it was flipped. 10th in punt returns, 9th in kickoff returns. That's a huge advantage for Oklahoma with uh, with the guys that have returning kicks. Farouk, who had another big one today, I think he led the team. Jalil Farouk led the team in, uh, in all-purpose yards. And uh, then Marvin Mims on punt returns as well. He's, he's a dangerous guy. You could see leading up to this game, yes, Oklahoma was going to have a hard time moving the football. And, yes, Oklahoma might have a hard time stopping Iowa State, as bad as Iowa State's offense is. But you could see a decided advantage coming for Oklahoma and special teams, and that's one of the big reasons, huge reason why they won this game. Their special teams were so much better. Billy Bowman's awesome, right? And we were kind of seeing a little glimpse of what he can be with the ball in his hand as a kick returner before he obviously got hurt at TCU and he returned today. But, guys, since Billy Bowman got hurt and Jalil Fruit took over that job, Jalil Farouk is an impact kick returner. He's had a couple that it feels like when he touched the ball, one of these is going to break. But the thing I've been most impressed with, with Jalil Farouk as a kick returner, and I think we've kind of slipped this in here and there, but haven't got to just spend two or three minutes on it, so I'm going to do it now, is the kick return, right, is one of the most violent plays in all of sports. You've got 11 guys who are trying to cover the kick who get basically a full head of steam to go and hit 11 guys on the other side who also get a full head of steam and it feels like every single time Jalil Farouk returns a kickoff he gets hit and he carries a defender three yards forward does he always break the tackle no he he, he gets tackled all that stuff but for a, a guy on the kick not just like running the football but on a kickoff return to be carrying defenders forward I I, frankly, I've never seen anything like it, like consistently on the kickoff return. That guy is as tough as it gets. He had the wide open, you know, walk-in touchdown today, and the ball's finally finding him. But uh, when, when Billy Bowman comes all the way back and is healthy, if they decide to put him in at kick return, like, Jill Farouk still needs to be out there because he is a difference maker, and it's a lot of fun to watch. And also, uh, shout-out to the By the Numbers, which is also on our Friday coverage. Uh, it, it was so important to have that special team stuff work because the third point that we had in there is that this season, Iowa State was third in the country, giving up, on average, four and a half points a game in the second half, right? So they come out, they make those adjustments. So getting any kind of production from anywhere else, whether that is – flipping the field, interceptions, specialty, like whatever, you need to stack all those advantages when you're not an elite team and, and you're not banking on going in and blowing out a team like Iowa State. So it, it was a, a total effort from all three halves of the football, as, as coaches like to say. And uh, I think that that's, that just leaves – how many games this year have we left saying that all three phases of the game feel like they had something good to, like, grow off of on top of getting a win? Because even last – game out against Kansas it's like yeah the defense felt better because they forced some turnovers but they still gave up 42 points to a backup quarterback against Kansas it feels like everyone had had something that they're really going to spin out of this game and try to take some momentum into that Baylor contest next week yeah lots of good vibes uh, all around certainly uh for for OU after this one um yeah I mean special teams really stepped up in a big way uh deserve a lot of credit and I don't know how much is Jay Nunez but that guy's a beast. If <laughs> it's a lot of it is him and that fake field goal and things like that, and uh, his impact is obvious. And this is why who asked get a special teams coach. <laughs> so this has been your this has been just a victory lap for you the entire season. Where are you at, Lincoln? <laughs> <laughs> Struggling with Arizona right now. He is losing at. his crap, and uh, deservedly so because the Pac-12 draft screwed him out of a field goal at the end of the half probably at Arizona and the, o the USCAD is just shredding the Pac-12 rest on Twitter right now. That's where he's at. we got to keep in mind too, US, they also completely feel like they got jobbed in the Utah game too. So it's just bubbling over out there in, uh, in SoCal right now. But for Oklahoma, special teams was really good. Let's talk about the offense because um, it kind of segues off, especially the Farouk. So I want to bring up something about Farouk in just a second. Offensively, this game was kind of weird because Iowa State defensively, we talked about all week, 
really good, legitimately very good, one of the best in the country, let alone the Big 12, but in the country, a really, really good defense. Dylan Gabriel, serviceable game, 15 of 26 for 148 yards and a touchdown. He took one sack, didn't turn the ball over. See, so like that after he had some turnovers against Kansas. Feels like a long time ago, but that did happen last time he played. Uh, Brent Venables was a big fan of what Dylan Gabriel did today. He said that he was gave him an A. He said he was terrific. Um, kind of took what was there. They missed some with Mims, like uh, I think it was Ryan said earlier. Um, but did have the big touchdown to Farouk. He was fine. He was he was fine. Is the way I would put Dylan Gabriel. But the run game, I and mean, we keep talking about this. I mean, the run game is great every week, and. Eric Gray is obviously, I mean, I guess my question to you guys, and I'll, I'll turn it over to you, the running game is obviously tremendous, and the offensive line deserves a lot of credit for that, but how much of it is just Eric Gray? Because, I mean, you look at the numbers, Marcus Major was at 2.4 yards per carry today. Eric Gray was at 5. And Eric Gray is going to be a 1,000-yard rusher this year, boring disaster. I mean, he's going to blow by that 1,000-yard mark. Remember in the preseason we talked about how Jeff Levy had never had one before, and it was like, you know, is it could Eric Gray be that guy? He's got, by my math, I'm pretty sure he's got 800 or close to 800 yards on the season now after today. This is a four games left plus a bowl, more than likely. He's having a monster season. He is. Uh, came into this game leading the nation, leading all of major college football in yards per carry, 7.2. We That kind of crept up on us uh, statistically, and we didn't even realize until OU tweeted that out. That was like, holy cow, leads the nation? Leads the nation. And we saw today why. Um, he comes back. He, he got banged up, and what'd you say, Ryan? He spent 30 minutes so, in the tent. Yeah, Tul- the Tulsa World's Eric Bailey tallied that up. That he spent approximately, per Eric's math, about 30 minutes of real time on the sideline in the injury tent, and then came back out and helped close out the game for the Sooners. So, for him to do that, uh, and that he listen, he took that direct snap for the late touchdown run. Uh, he powered through some guys, powered over some guys. He's a different runner this year. He's um, he's a guy that, you know, last year it seemed like one first contact would bring him down. First contact would trip him, knock him over, bowl him up. What, he always ended up uh, not being able to run through that first contact. This year he is running through that first contact. He's initiating first contact. And he, I think he's surprising some defenders. So yeah, the, the Eric Gray is is being an absolute difference maker. Uh, he's a little guy, but he's a unit the way he's playing. And that offensive line, man, you got to give them the credit. They have really, really come together. I'm not sure what Bill Biedenboe did today. They were really jockeying around. You saw uh, Conjol in there for a, a lot of the action today. They brought in two, the two freshmen. Jake Sexton was playing left tackle. Jake Taylor was playing right ta- uh, right guard. Uh, Savion Bird was playing. Uh, was that Parks? Parks was playing right tackle. Yeah. Parks was playing right tackle. Thank you. I got that wrong on the blog. Uh, and the center stayed the same. Rame stayed the same, right? So uh, they they just started throwing a bunch of freshmen in there. It was like, and that was just for a little brief time. It's like Beedmo got mad at those guys. So or something. So we asked uh, Jalil Farouk about that, and Farouk said. Yeah, the young guys have been really good at practice, and so they rewarded them by letting them get in there and get a first down. Because not only was it that, it was quite literally Dylan Gabriel and Andrew Rame were the only people that stayed on the field. Otherwise, um, Matower was at left guard. He was replaced by Conjol with the starting unit. Like, Jaden Gibson, Gavin Freeman. Jason Llewellyn. Llewellyn. All all nine players not named Andrew Rame and Dylan Gabriel were the second unit, and... Farouk said, yeah, they were giving him, uh, you know, the ability to play, rewarding them, also giving the offense a little bit of a breather, and then they got that first down, and it was just like a line change. When Levy was asked about it, he just chuckled, and he's like, you like that? (laughs) And then that was it. That was that. That's good stuff. The offensive line has been good, uh, so seeing those guys get in there. And they were throwing some blocks. Like you said, they got that first down. Uh, uh, Sexton was out there, like, reaching his man uh, on a a wide kickout, nine-technique kickout. I was like, what? What's he doing out there? Impressive performance by the starters for sure uh, over these last, well, since the Texas game, over these last three weeks. Yeah, and to get in real quick on Gray, too, I mean, this was the guy that I think that a lot of OU fans, and and I'll at least say me included, you guys can agree with me if you want, that they thought they were getting last year. I mean, last season, coming into the year, 
I felt like that Eric Gray was going to assert himself as running back one. I, I, I thought he was going to be better than Kenny Brooks, especially Kenny Brooks going off a year off, remember? Feels like forever ago, but he didn't play in 2020. He was coming back after a year away, and I liked what I saw from Eric Gray at Tennessee, and I thought this guy's going to be great at OU, catching passes. like He's going to be fantastic, and he was okay. Kenny Brooks took the job and ran with it, you know, and everyone was kind of underwhelmed. Remember, he was preseason newcomer of the year last year, Eric Gray, after he transferred. But this year, after those first couple games where there were some whispers about Marcus Major maybe being the, the true number one back, he has just been tremendous. I mean, every week he, he's been Oklahoma's most consistently productive offensive player, bar none. I mean, everybody else kind of has their weeks where they're – Dylan Gabriel doesn't play great, doesn't do a whole lot. Like today, you know, only 100-whatever yards passing. Marvin Mims sometimes has quiet games. Eric Gray never has quiet games right now. He is automatic, 100 yards, pencil him in every week. And that's that's really, really, really valuable. And did it today without the benefit of his top backup, who's Javante Barnes. Brent Venables, I asked him, I said, where was he? Where was Javante? I had a little hamstring issue late in the week during practice, so – um, yeah, that's something that uh, without Javante Barnes there to spell him, Eric Gray had to step up, take on more responsibility, and he did it. He's just such, if you've never listened, watched one of our videos with him or if you've never heard him talk, he's just such a mature, uh, professional attitude kind of guy about everything he does. Uh, and, and the coaches love the way he prepares, the way he takes everything so seriously. Uh, and that's, I think it's serving him well. You know, I mean, senior year, right? So uh, he's, 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 he's got one more year eligibility after this? I think one more, right? He just played yeah. one year at Tennessee. He's got and a super, two. Sen- super senior year coming up. I thought he only played one year at Tennessee. I mean, he played two, two years. Two, oh, okay. two years. Two My mistake. Yeah, so. so he still has one, though, because COVID. Right, yeah. So he would have the super senior year next year if he wants it. I would doubt it, the way that he's running the ball and the way that uh, running too. backs are in the NFL. But uh, j- just to key in on something you, you said a little bit earlier, Josh, you're asking – is it Gray? Is it the line? You mentioned majors play. I think it's both. Um, Jeff Levy talks a ton about winning your one-on-ones as a running back, right? And Eric Gray is getting to the second level untouched. So that's offensive line and props to Gray's vision for being able to follow that through. But then Gray, like you see it, because Javante Barnes also gets to the second level untouched the last couple of weeks when he is playing. Gray gets to the second level untouched. And then, not to pick up, but like Marcus Majors doesn't. Uh, We've seen this before at a Marcus Major where he gets a chance and he's been jumped by a running back every time. Like, remember 2020 where it was like, okay, this is fine, this is fine. And Ramondre Stevenson comes back and you're like, oh, no, that looks different. And you see what Ramondre is doing on Sunday. So I think that not having Barnes, that other bit, like the offensive line, sure, could they have blocked it up even better for Major? But I think that's just kind of who he is at this point in his career. But that's not to say that Gray is taking it to another level as far as what he does in the open field. And, yeah, who have you mentioned it? Like, if you get to talk to DeMarco Murray and you ask him about Eric Gray, and if he gives you a 90-second soundbite, he's going to say that Eric Gray is a pro and it, at least three times in that 90 seconds. They believe it, and you're seeing that production uh, come to fruition every Saturday now. Eric Gray, also another element of this, is Eric Gray is so uh, dynamic and efficient in the passing game that when he's in the backfield, defenses don't know if he's going out for a pass or if he's going to block or if he's going to uh, get the football or do something else. With Marcus Major, he's less dynamic. And so when they see him in the backfield, I think they're able to key on him a little bit. He's not going out for a pass necessarily. He can catch passes, but he's not like Eric Gray. Uh, I don't know what his grade is in pass pro, but if if he's in the backfield, it's like, defenses realize okay that dude's getting the ball 24 is getting the ball so his yards per carry has gone down also is putting in the work in that wildcat we've seen that uh they kind of found that a little bit in the texas game obviously when that out of necessity but they've stuck with it and they like it especially down at the goal line like we said punching that final touchdown um that's becoming an effective thing that i think you're going to continue to see as we go on uh, down here in the home stretch of the season. One last thing on offense I wanted to bring out before we uh, flip over to defense. We're talking about Jaleel Farouk earlier. Obviously, you see what he's doing um, in the kick return game since Billy Bowman went down. And, you know, we talked about it after the Texas game. And he was like the one guy that was like, I mean, Eric Gray and Braden Willis were too. Don't get, you know, they were, but he was really like, he has never for one second ever not been giving 100%. Like, he plays really, really hard. And that Texas game, it was – they're getting just 
drubbed, and he was still like head down every extra yard he can get. And he had another nice game today. He had literally half of Gabriel's yards, 74 of his 148 were to Farouk on four targets. So all four times he threw it to him. He also made the first catch of the game was through like a legitimate spine buster hit, and he held on to it, had the big long touchdown. Is he like clearly wide receiver too? Now, nah, I mean that. There, I mean, coming into the year, I think that was probably Theo Weiss, but it, it's Farouk now. I mean, he's he's really talented, and we saw in that Alamo Bowl last year, we were kind of like, man, why didn't he play more last year? And now this year, I mean, everybody had him circled. He was like the most obvious breakthrough, breakout player in the preseason, but he's doing it. He, he's he's awesome to watch. Yeah, Lincoln told us last year that he had a pretty significant hamstring injury to start the to start the season. Uh, he actually got it in the summertime, so you know his as a true freshman last year, unable to come in and and uh, make an immediate difference with that hamstring injury. So that's why he didn't play earlier. You're right; he gets the ball a couple of times in the Alamo Bowl. He breaks some tackles. He runs through some guys, and you're like, "Whoa, where's this been?" Um, he has clearly emerged right now as the number two wide receiver. Um, yeah, you could say you could say Braden Willis is kind of in that role a little bit, maybe, I don't, even though he's not. He's not that deep threat. He's not that deep, deep post kind of guy that uh, that we saw today, or or deep out. Uh, I'm sorry, deep uh, go route that we saw out of uh, Jaleel Farouk today. So, no, he he has passed Theo Weiss, and you know Theo Weiss, God bless him, right? He's fought through some injuries. He's fought through some maybe high, unrealistic expectations, whatever it is. Uh, he had a couple of chances today. I want to say one semi-deep ball, intermediate deep ball that uh, he couldn't come up with. Um, yeah, that has that job has been taken by Jillo Farouk. And, and then you could also say, where does Drake Stoops fit in that as the number two guy? Kind of 2A, 2B, 2C, actually, if you, if you ask me. Drake is more of a third down guy, more of a novelty guy, I guess. Not necessarily that guy that's going to break the game open. Like uh, like we saw today from Farouk and like we've seen from Marvin Mims. Well, where Drake Stoops fits in is he's the guy that's going to run every single motion to expose every coverage uh, for the offense, which is important. But I think the big thing you saw, and like Mims had an off day today. Everyone knows the talent that Marvin Mims has. I would expect him to be awesome against Baylor because that's how that guy's kind of built, right? That's how he responds. But just the, the variety of stuff we mentioned – the, you saw from Farouk that is today. We mentioned the kickoffs. Farouk's first catch of the game is one where Gabriel overthrows him a bit and he goes up, climbs the ladder, gets absolutely smoked, holds onto the football, spends about five seconds on the turf before he picks himself back up and gets going. We saw him have the focus in that moment where he was schemed so wide open that I asked him after the game, what, what goes through your mind when you're that wide open? He's like, for the love of God, just catch the football because <laughs> you just got to catch the football and then it's a walk-in touchdown. And, and we know that he, he's happy to do all the dirty work. So he can do anything that Jeff Levy asks of him, and that's got to be really um, troubling for opposing defenses to know that you have two guys in Marvin Mims, Angelo Fruit, who can do literally anything Jeff Levy needs him to do. Hell, we saw Braden Willis catching bubble screens out of the backfield today, right? It's, talk about versatility there. Then you've got Drake Stoops. Gavin Freeman looks like he's going to be a, a machine at one point when uh, he kind of uh, some of that log jam ahead of him clears out. But they, they've used him in gadget situations, stuff like that. Um, it, it has to be really, really tough to, to scheme up against this Oklahoma offense when it's off and running. And I think the most impressive thing of all of it, so we talked about all of these uh, tools and different ways they can use the wide receivers. We talked about how close they were on a couple of those deep balls to Mims. And Jeff Levy didn't abandon the run whatsoever. He, he knew against this Iowa State defense that, hey, they can have some success running the football, but you have to stay balanced. You have to keep them uh, whatever version of the Iowa State defense being on their heels is because they're not on their heels often. And he didn't abandon the run. And, and that's literally what OU fans have begged and begged and begged of their play caller. I said it before. Since uh, Heacock moved to this 3-3-5 balance stack. No, he did, absolutely did not. And um, it seems like Lebby's finding his uh, his footing even more and more as we've gone along. That balance continues to be really good. And OU offense, I mean, like we said, I mean, we, we tried to remind ourselves because that TCU game and that Tex game were so bad. 
but we we talked about it in the post game, the Texas game. When Dylan Gabriel plays, this offense is pretty good. Um, that's just the reality of it. Um, and you saw that again today. It's a really good Iowa State defense. Did they light it up? No, but they moved the ball. They easily could have more points on the board. And Dylan Gabriel said that today in post game. He was talking about. I think it was your question. Um, you kind of, he was talking about. I would like to see the offense play better. You know, he was talking about. You know, it being a perfectly complimentary game. Um, but that, that's kind of what he said. Almost that after every game this year, they scored, you know, however many, 50-whatever against Kansas, and he still thinks offense should be a bit. It's kind of just the way that he's built, the way Jeff Levy's kind of built. They're similar in that, that way in their brain. So uh, good stuff, though, for Oklahoma offensively. Um, they continue to run the ball like that. As long as Dylan Gabriel can stay healthy, obviously, they're going to have a chance to move the ball and score points on everybody they play. Um, no doubt about that. And that Baylor off defense they're going to see next week, is not the same that OSU offense we're going to see in a few weeks. It is not the same at all from last year. So they should have a chance for some success here uh, going down the home stretch of the season. Let's flip over to the defensive side of the ball. Really good. Uh, I mean, Iowa State stinks on offense. Hunter Deckers is not great. Um, Iowa State, I, I'm, it felt like it, but it, it's surprising. I'm looking at the box score here. 57 freaking passes for Hunter Deckers. That's too many. Yeah. <laughs> That's too many uh, for Iowa State. He 57 carried, he passes. He carried them. That's too many, though. Because they had no running game against the Oklahoma defense. Yeah, they couldn't run the ball. And uh, we talked about that during the week. Ryan mentioned it. You know, it was a push-come-to-shove situation <laughs> because Oklahoma's run defense had been really bad. But Iowa State could not run the ball. Yeah. And that continued. Oklahoma shut down the run. Hunter Deckers had to throw the ball 57 times, like I said. He turned it over three times. Three interceptions for the Sooners. Stutzman, Broyles, and Woody Washington all got him, including Woody Washington on like the very – that was the first drive. Um, and then Stutzman, the one to essentially ice the game late because he put him right inside the five to punch it in and, and end it. Lots of like what OU defensively in this game. They tackled well. And, I mean, the reality of the situation is that Almost no matter what they did coming out of this game, there was going to be a lot of, well, but it's Iowa State, Hunter Deckers. You know, this offense is, probably, is, is almost certainly the worst in the conference, all, all that stuff. But the, the reality situation is they shut them down. They did, you did what you're supposed to do. They gave up 13 points. And when Oklahoma gives up 13 points, I'm going to venture to say they will never lose with, with, with Levy in this offense. We'll my, get after in a minute. My point is... When you look down the tackle numbers, you see a lot of tackles for Oklahoma. You saw Deshaun White with a career-high 14 tackles, right? Um, Jaden Davis was making one-on-one tackles out there. Woody Washington was chasing guys down and tackling them one-on-one. Billy Bowman had a couple. Uh, Danny Stutzman had some tackles one-on-one. Just literally like it's me and you out in this grass, and you got to make me miss. And... Iowa State was not either not capable of doing that today or because it was it, – guys, it was over and over and over. It was like every offensive play for Iowa State. They had somebody one-on-one and somebody got somebody tackled them one-on-one every time. So a pretty good, pretty impressive performance by Oklahoma defensively just in terms of getting your arms around somebody and getting them to the ground. I could probably count in the on my head – off the top of my head, I should say. Maybe two – Maybe three missed tackles where the guy cut up field and, and made somebody miss and, and got a big gain out of it. The rest of the time it was either one-on-one or two-on-one or three-on-one, and whoever had the football was going to the ground. I know it's Iowa State. I know Iowa State doesn't have a dynamic offense. They don't have a lot of weapons that are going to make you miss. Uh, Xavier Hutch is a leading nation's leading receiver, okay, 9.5, 9.6 catches per game. He had 10 today. He only had 72 yards. So they gave up that short stuff. They gave up the bubbles. They gave up the screens. And Oklahoma tackled. That's got to be something that Brent Venables and Ted Roof and all those coaches really can uh, smile about is the fact that they've gone into this thing, consider where they were, consider where they were against TCU and against Kansas State and against Texas, and consider where they are now. They're able to get guys to the ground. It's huge. The progress that we saw today was huge. Yeah, Iowa State ran 84 plays to OU 74. That's a lot. And uh, it's a lot of times to run that and not really screw up. The funny thing is about this game is, 
Now, I don't mean as far as Oklahoma coming out in like a 3-3-5 and running that 100% of the time all game, but the philosophy that Iowa State's defense has, which is we're going to be sound, they're not necessarily going to live in the backfield. Uh, entering the game, um, Iowa State was in the 90s in uh, tackles for loss and the hundreds in sacks, or maybe it was vice versa. But basically, they were at 90 or worse in both sacks and tackles for loss, but still all the way up there in total defense, which means we're going to run, like make you run plays over and over and over again, and we're not going to screw up. That's exactly what Oklahoma did to the Iowa State offense today. The Oklahoma defense made Iowa State run plays over and over and over, and outside of on the uh, on Iowa State's first field goal drive, there was a play where um, Stutzman and Aguebu screwed up the zone coverage and, and let a guy tuck in right between them and Broyles at the back. That was a, I guess, a bust technically as far as someone not going with them. But it didn't result in a touchdown. And otherwise, it's not like there were Iowa State wide receivers that were catching and running for 50 yards, right? There weren't broken tackles that were big 40-yard plays. Um, Brock, the, the Iowa State running back, didn't you know, make it to the second level and make one cut and there was no one around. Oklahoma played fundamentally sound defense. They knew their assignments, all that stuff. And we just haven't seen that from them all year long uh, since they hit conference play, at least, when they started playing living, breathing teams. But a Sean White? Having a sneaky good season, it feels like. And he went for 14 tackles today. That's a lot of tackles. Career high, obviously. Uh, for Deshaun, he was around, especially late in the game. He had multiple big tackles in the fourth quarter when they're trying to salt the game away. He he kind of embodies um, a bit of a, a resurgence for the linebackers. Obviously, I know he's playing that cheetah spot, which I don't know what you, is that considered linebacker. It's kind of a thing all to its own, essentially. But it's been kind of a resurgence for that that position because Stutzman did some nice things. Obviously, like you were saying, Hoove with the, some nice open field tackles. Obviously, the big interception. David Aguebo got in there a couple times today. I don't know what his, his total tackle number ended up being, but Deshaun White, another big game for him. I mean, 14 tackles, he was he was everywhere. I've gotten a sense talking to Deshaun White, I think each of the last two Mondays, right, after practice, that he's got a chip on his shoulder, and he's tired of people talking trash on his defense, and he's tired of the defense looking bad, and so he's going to take it upon himself to, to do his part and make the defense better. Um, I think we've seen that the last couple of weeks, both the Kansas game and uh, and this game tonight uh, at Iowa State. It reminded me of his first half at Nebraska when you know he came out and he was fired up and he was lighting people up and he was one on one tackle. Ball ball carrier guy would catch a screen pass and you know he's out there one on one and Deshaun would just blow him up, knock him backwards. That's the kind of that's what we saw today. So uh, yeah, he's he's having a really sneaky good year. Piling up a lot of tackles because he's so active. He's able to, um, he's able to be kind of freed up, I guess, instead of thinking so much. And my run fit has to be here, and I've got to match this guy, and I've got to, uh, you know, my body's not nearly as big as his, but I'm going to take on his. Bl-. He doesn't do that anymore. He is out in space, and he is using his athletic ability to chase guys down and, and stop them one on one. It's been an impressive run he's been on. Yeah, I think in in that Nebraska game, which you're right, the Nebraska game, we talked about at the time, he was awesome in the first half, and they asked him to blitz a lot, which I think simplified things. I really think maybe this is on us for not doing a great job of talking about this, but um, like coaches will tell you that once non-conference play versus conference play, the offenses are so much more complicated because everyone's done running their vanilla stuff and all that, right? I truly think that Kansas State and TCU – we saw a defense, no matter how experienced, that was getting there mentally tested as far as how well do you actually know this Brent Venables defense, right? That for, for the first time against Kansas State and TCU, there were really complicated offensive schemes being run at guys, and they got nervous and plays busted. Guys were screwed up their run fits, all that stuff. And the confidence was wiped. And then I think it took another couple of weeks to get that confidence back. It'll be interesting to see if they continue next week. Hey, Baylor may put up points next week, but as long as there's not busts and things, you hit that halfway point, and the players start to seem to be playing faster defensively, more instinctive. And I think that's just a byproduct of Alex Grinch's defense was very simple, about as simple as it gets. Brett Venables' defense is very complicated, about as complicated as it gets. And even for the older guys who have 
plenty of experience in college football, trying to pick up stuff, making adjustments on the fly, all that stuff. It's a big adjustment, and uh, it looks like they're just getting more and more confident. I'm, I'm interested to see, not to spin this thing way, way, way too far forward, but like mentally, where does this defense start next year since they'll have had a whole nother year under it and there's not as much new stuff coming at them because it's not an elite unit right now, any of that, but you're starting to find guys that are playing a lot better. Today, We it, it even was the return of, Isaiah Coe would go out and flash for a play, and then Jordan Kelly would go out and flash for a play and get a sack, and then Jalen Redmond would be in the backfield at least forcing different things different ways. And that's the first time we'd seen that since, gosh, Nebraska probably. That segues nicely into what I wanted to ask you next uh, as we you know, start to start to look toward wrapping up here where you've just, we've crossed into Missouri now. We're still hurtling through just complete darkness all around us. Um, not a lot to look at on this drive. We're just trying not to hit any deer. Trying not to hit any deer. We joked if it happened live on the pod that we would keep it in <laughs> just for entertainment, just for you guys. Um, we still have like five hours to go on this thing, but it is what it is. This is, this is how it goes. This is the life we lead. Just your confidence level in this defense right now moving forward in terms of like we said, linebackers are playing well. They've had kind of a resurgence. Deshaun White's playing well. They got turn. They've had multiple turnovers the last couple of weeks. Now they're intercepting the ball. That's become like a theme now. All of a sudden, secondary played pretty well today. I thought um, Billy Bowman is back. Like we said, so they're getting they're healthy. They have one of their maybe their their best defensive player back on the field, and he's only going to get more comfortable as he goes. Just it feels like the defense is rounding into form and kind of peaking at the right time. I guess is maybe the right way to put. It. I mean, they're just I think they're just time to learn the system, kind of like Ryan was just alluding to. But just your confidence level, I guess, that this defense is maybe found its footing a little bit after some disastrous weeks, or is it really just kind of a you know Iowa State's not that good? <laughs> I mean, what where just where do you, where do you fall on it? Yeah. That's easy. It's both. Uh, I think they are rounding into form, and clearly Iowa State's not that good. Uh, not dynamic enough to really threaten and and stress the Oklahoma defense today. Oklahoma did. Don't get me wrong. O, OU did a good job today, handling its business, taking care of what it was. Uh, you know what it was asked to do. The, the guys up front made tackles. Um, I, I should say the guys made tackles. The guys up front pushed the pocket. Uh, they chased Hunter Deckers. They weren't able to get to him but the one time. But, you know, there were some receivers that were wide open, um, especially on third and ten, third and nine. There were so, there were five, six, seven times where a receiver was open beyond the, the defensive back who was covering him. So a lot of room for improvement, and they're going to need it because Baylor has a dynamic offense. They've got some fast wide receivers. Uh, Oklahoma State obviously has got a very dangerous offense. They've got some fast wide receivers. They've got a quarterback who runs uh, runs around and acts like he's going to be the Big 12 player of the year before today. That is 48 to nothing. You guys said 48. Nothing. 48 nothing. Kansas State over OSU today. Unbelievable. At least they don't have to play Kansas State again. Uh, but uh, the Will Howard Wildcats yeah, apparently. Wow, where'd he come from? But uh, uh, JT Daniels is a is a a slinger, kind of a gunslinger mentality, quarterbacking uh, West Virginia. That's going to be a challenge. And then we've seen three quarterbacks this year so far play for Texas Tech. Um, we've got the volume down on the satellite radio going right now. Currently, at this moment, Baylor leads Texas Tech 31-17. So haven't been able to listen to that game. I don't even know who's quarterbacking for Tech, but whoever it is is going to be they're – they're, they're going to lead – uh, the Big 12 in passes, passing yards, passing attempts, all that stuff. So uh, moving forward, is the stress going to be a lot higher on this Oklahoma defense? Yeah, a million percent because these offenses coming up are way more dynamic than what we saw today. Yeah, if you've listened to this podcast for a bit, you've heard me reference this a couple of times just because it was one of my assignments on Brent Venable's week when he was hired of, of all the copy and stuff like that that we put out. But um, tracking what Brent Venables did at Clemson defensively. Year one, Clemson made very, very modest improvements in total defense. Year two, they jumped into the top 25. And then year three and on, they never left the top 10. Modest improvements for this Oklahoma defense would be to finish 
in the high 70s or low to mid 60s in total defense. And I think they're taking those steps. The damage may already be done with the offenses they played uh, in K-State, TCU, and Texas. But I think they're taking steps to being a defense that if they played like this level all year long, they would finish in the mid-60s, right, in total defense. I think they're taking those steps. By any means, is it fixed? No. They still have issues as far as just height, weight, how big they are up front for how Brent Middles wants to play. They still have issues like who've mentioned in coverage, all that stuff. But I think they're showing that they're not the defense that was tracking in the 100s like we saw against uh, K-State, TCU, and, and Texas. And I think they're making those improvements that, that like I said, they would be a, a just a fine defense, an, an okay to, to bad defense depending on the matchup. Um, if they play like this all year, and I, I think that kind of tracks with – what Venables did at Clemson, and everyone saw where that went. And uh, I know that there was a commitment flip on Friday night as we hammered out the Caleb Spencer thing in the car, but I don't think – while you never want to lose a recruit, that's not the recruit people have their eyes on as far as keeping this class together. If Brick continues to keep this class together and signs them, all that stuff, then that's taking – on the field, you've taken the first step toward turning the defense around. Then off the field, bringing that class in, you'd have taken the first step toward turning the defense around. Real quick before we start to wrap up here, uh, who to answer your question? Texas Tech starting quarterback tonight, Baron Morton, freshman. You ready for this stat line? Eight for 27, 98 yards, one touchdown, and two picks. Eight for 27, so Baron Morton. Yeah, as of now. Although it looks like Donovan Smith may have come in for him. <laughs> because Donovan Smith has got two passes. Uh, unless Donovan Smith got, started this game and got hurt. Obviously, we don't really know. Uh, we've been we've been in transit, uh, hurtling through Iowa and now Missouri after trying like four different burger spots. Um, it's been a bit of an adventure. Um, but what else would you expect from a road trip uh, for us? That's kind of how it goes, especially these further ones. Anytime it's like a little bit distancey, things get things get dicey. That's just that's just a given at this point. So as we start to wrap up here, we'll do what we always do to kind of finish. We'll spin it forward, look ahead, what's going to happen down the home stretch. There's four games left in this season. I still probably feel like they're still all winnable and all losable, although I definitely tr- lean toward winnable after today. Um, Baylor looks like they're going to win the butt bowl as of now, but like we've seen, Baylor is they're not what we thought they were going to be. That defense is not – I mean, West Virginia shredded them, um, put like 40 points on the board. I mean, they, they, they have holes. Now, they're still – Dave Aranda team. They're still going to be tough. They're still going to be solid next week in Norman. Um, but they're not Baylor that we're used to. OSU looked to be pretty darn good. We talked about that in the midweek show, kind of hang, handicapping the games left. Like we just said, I don't know what the hell happened in Manhattan today. 48 nothing to Will Howard. He gets shut out, and you give up 48 to Will Howard. So who knows what OSU is right now. And then Texas Tech is kind of a mess, and West Virginia is kind of a mess also. So now you're looking at it. And in just one day, you're like, man, Oklahoma might be favored in all these games. They prob- Probably be. today they would be favored in all these games. Yeah, they could be. I uh, don't know about Oklahoma State. Uh, and, again, we don't know the context of what happened there. But uh, what you guys need to know is, if you haven't seen it by now, uh, Oklahoma, Baylor next week, ESPN Plus and 2 o'clock kickoff. Heck yeah. ESPN Plus, 2 o'clock kickoff. So what that means is – the two teams that have won the last nine Big 12 championships, am I right? Nine? Is it not? Yeah, Baylor. Going back to uh, 13, right? Six for Oklahoma. Oh, and K-State split oh, in 2012. 2012. That's right. Uh, so so 10. The last 10 Big 12 championships. Who won in 11? That, that was OSU. Okay. OSU. So, yeah, the last 10 years, the Big 12 has been won by two teams. Well, three teams. TCU got in there once and, and sharing. But you see what I'm saying? You're... Ten-time Big 12 champion teams have to play <laughs> on ESPN+. Plus. Uh, I didn't have anything to do with that. Please don't uh, tweet at me. But, uh, boy, that's just that's really shocking to me. First time OU's played a Big 12 game on ESPN+, Plus since they started doing that. So, kind of definitely not what we expected. Yeah, my guy Trevor Rogers came in with the fire take. Uh, Oklahoma's about to leave the Big 12 for the SEC again after that announcement, <laughs> which was uh, pretty funny. But, yeah, I mean, when you look at it, just specifically for next week, because, like you guys mentioned, OU could win, could lose all these games. So it's really hard to spin these things forward. 
when it's just like, I, I don't know, this conference is drunk. But Baylor has been very Jekyll and Hyde all year long on both sides of the ball. Like, they were awful against West Virginia defensively, awful against Oklahoma State defensively. They weren't awful against BYU, but BYU was missing their top two pass catchers. And BYU, it turns out, stinks. So I would classify that as awful, even though it wasn't like they gave up uh, 40 points to BYU. Shapin comes in, and he can either be great. Like, it again, we're... We're just score watching, so so we're not watching this Baylor Texas Tech game yet. We'll watch it back. But if you put up 31 points, Shapin's probably been okay. He's been just god awful at times. So you've got that versus you look at Oklahoma. The defense has been up and down, and with Dylan Gabriel outside of the first quarter in Fort Worth, Oklahoma's still scored with Gabriel. Like that's a really good K State defense that OU made look not very good that night in Norman, even though Gabriel missed a couple of key spots and Oklahoma lost that game. They, they still uh, scored it as much as just about anybody on that Kansas State defense. So it's one of those things that no clue what's going to happen, but if you ask me right now, you know, like water gun to ankle, you know, what, what's going to happen? Like the most consistent unit in the Oklahoma-Baylor game has been Oklahoma's offense, so I'd probably ride with that because that's how I look at a lot of these games. Give, give me the best unit on the field if everything else is a toss-up. What's, let me ask you guys this. What's what's the most likely scenario? Oklahoma goes 4-0, and 3-1, and 2-2, and 1-3, and or 0-4. What's the most likely? What's the least likely? Uh, I would probably say 3-1. and They should win all these, but you know, you feel like they, there's a chance for a stumble in there, especially with a couple of tough road trips. What do you think, Ryan? Yeah, I, we met up with a listener, Daniel Mann, uh, of the podcast. So shout out to Daniel and Colby for, for shouting us out. But uh, And I was talking to them before the game, and I was like, you know, my gut just tells me Oklahoma, and this is before the Iowa State game, is going to finish this thing 4-1. and one. They're going to beat everybody and go into Lubbock in the last game of the year and just lay an egg in Lubbock. So... That's my official – That I think that 3-1 and is very much in play, very much on the table, just because when you look, we just kind of – I just kind of talked through the Baylor game. Uh, Oklahoma State's defense is bad. It's just bad. I don't want to hear about the defensive line anymore. They're talented individually, but that unit stinks. They, they're giving up yards left, right, and center. So, again, I think the Oklahoma offense might be the best unit on the field in that game. Take that. Same thing at Morgantown. Um, but it this team is so inconsistent. They're – like, it's just not going to go that way. It feels like it's not going to go that way unless the defense continues to make these steps forward. So I think someone will, will pop up there and, and get them. And we've already seen this team once kind of read their plus clippings coming out of the Nebraska game. So it feels like if they put together, a, what would that be at that point, a five-game win streak, that weird things happening in Lubbock to close out the year, it feel, feels like that would be on the menu for me. Lubbock to end the year is, is dicey, very dicey. Yeah, and I think the most likely scenario is three and one, which – lay that out three and one plus the two that you just won you finish the season by winning five out of your last six after getting blown out 49 to nothing by texas your rival down in dallas and uh giving up 55 the week before that i think five out of six is a hell of a finish for this team no for sure if you get to eight and four i mean you get to eight and four and you you win your bowl you take that momentum into the offseason didn't we say after the texas game i mean what would be constituted success at this point we all kind of agreed just like getting to seven wins would be a success, so they're certainly in position to do that right now, which uh, also, by the way, uh, Ryan, as of now, and there's still uh, about half the fourth quarter to go, Shapin's numbers, 18 for 29, 194 yards and a touchdown. So he's been okay. He's been, been he's, he's been fine. Does that mean that Reese is feasting right now, the running back? Indeed. He has 140 yards, although he has 30 carries and three touchdowns. <laughs> three touchdowns. Um, but that's just under five yards per carry. Uh, so... But yeah, thirty carries. Jeez, they're running. They're gonna run him right into the ground. He's a freshman. Fresh legs. Oh, he's a freshman with fresh legs. That's what I'm saying. So he's got the fresh legs. So you can just give him thirty carries. Who cares? Um, there you have it. I think we're just about done. We're just, like I said, we're hurling through Missouri. It was a heck of a time in Ames. The post game situation was a little dicey. It was about a uh, as uh, Eli Letterman said. Uh, it's like this is a little bit of a fire hazard. I think it it, def- <laughs> it definitely was. We had about. 50 plus people I felt like jammed into a essentially a closet to uh, do Brent Venables post game press conference. We were packed in there and it was really hot in that room. 
<laughs> I, was, I was sitting like a foot and a half away from Brent. You and, uh, yeah, you and Garen were like in his grill. But it was all right. It was all right. You especially, though, you were like, you were real close. <laughs> you and Brent got acquainted in the post game. But uh, it went all right. It was an okay trip to Ames. The press box was, was uh, thankfully, I didn't have to sit in it because when we got there, it was like 100 plus degrees in the press box. Like, I, I couldn't wait to get out of it. I was like, holy moly, I got to get out of here. So I don't know how you guys suffered through that for a while. But uh, you're troopers. The window, if you looked up at the press box, there was a window open. Oh, yeah, I noticed. That was my window. <laughs> yeah. I noticed. It's like there's a couple of windows open up there. That's wise move because it was cranked up in there. Yeah, it was, it was unreal hot for a press box for something that was not unreal hot on the field. But uh, Oklahoma survived. We survived. The All-Sooners clue rolls on back to back to Norman for uh, an ESPN Plus joint. You know, <laughs> who knows? Gotta love it. Second time on ESPN Plus this year. Uh, gonna have a, a crap load of basketball games on ESPN Plus starting in November. So uh, OU fans are gonna want to get acquainted uh, with how to use it. Then you got Diamond Sports. There's going to be a lot of Nisman Plus soon, so you need to learn it if you haven't yet or uh, purchase it if you haven't yet, uh, certainly. But uh, good time in Ames. Maybe the last time OU plays there. Probably back in 24, it seems like, it sounds like. But uh, if not, that's all she wrote. We'll, we'll uh, see you probably never. I can't imagine a world where OU ever plays in Ames again after them being in the – I don't know why that would ever happen, barring an expanded playoff weirdness that happens at some point uh, even then like what scenario does Iowa State host a playoff game it seems impossible so um, but good time good time in Ames who were you sad that Ames is over no I've never I've <laughs> never had a good trip to Ames this one included <laughs> it wasn't good it was not good <laughs> no apologies country song says happiness is Lubbock in the rearview mirror. Happiness is also Ames in the rearview mirror. It just is. I mean, no offense. I just, my personal experiences, I've never had a good time in Ames. Who was trying to get out of the Ames trip earlier in the season? He kept saying, I'm not going to do it. And we, we eventually got him got him in on it. And uh, obviously he's not happy about it. You guys know I carry this wagon everywhere I go. I can't carry it to Ames because they won't let you bring your wagon into the press box. So what does that mean? All that equipment that we have to carry in the wagon, we had to carry on our backs today. And they have a new parking lot for the media. It's a mile and a half away. We're lugging these 40-pound bags across the parking lot and over the bridge. I got nothing great to say, but I, I just don't. I just don't. We stayed in Des Moines last night and had a great time. <laughs> we also got rushed out of the box. We couldn't do our podcast normally. You guys need to go on out of here. <laughs> uh, who's ready to smash some Red Bulls at the Grove, it sounds like? Go on, get Get on out of here, y'all, Oklahoma people. <laughs> <laughs> Oklahoma people. Um, that's although, it. Although, although, never forget the poor Iowa State like student staffer who like opens the door to the Oklahoma press conference, sees a billion people in there, and turns to me and goes, "Is this the Oklahoma press or is this the Iowa State press conference?" And I just turned and I was like, "Do you think this many people cover Iowa State?" And he's like, "No." And I was like, "Well, there you have, it. there you have it." I feel bad for the guy who his entire job was to give like a thing of stats to Mike Houck, the SID. That was his entire role in that post game, and he had to sit in there for an hour just to do that—a two-second task of handing him a piece of paper. When he, when he pulled it off, he raised both hands over his head in victory. Yeah, like I did it. He's like, I can leave. See y'all later. Seriously, good people in Ames. I love coming here. Good people. But it's just me. It's me. It's not a you thing, Ames. It's a me thing. I've never had a good time here. So, sorry. Sorry about you. I've been Ames twice. It's been fine. This was first time for Ryan, right? First time? Yeah, first <laughs> First time for me. Uh, yeah. The, the only three Big 12 spots I haven't visited were Ames, Austin, and Morgantown. So, Ames is off the list. Put an X through it. And uh, it was fine. I won't miss it if I never have to come back. You, weeks, you can be, say you did it. Two weeks, you'll be in Morgantown. Country roads, take us home. So there you have it. That's it for us. Oklahoma wins. Um, they got two in a row. They're five and three. We may just get a bowl trip out of this season yet. Got to get one more win, but we're on track for it. Guaranteed rate bowl tweeted an OU clip today. 
I know you highlight. Frowny face. It wasn't a frowny. It was a, a surprise face. Uh, it wasn't a surprise face or a, frowny, a frowny face emoji. It, it looked like a frowny face. It was a surprise. You guys don't know your emojis. Uh, hold on, hold on. The tie no. has been broken. You guys don't know your emojis. Hold on, hold on. Hold on. I did look at it on TweetDeck, though. It was a it was a face of like, whoa, can't believe he did that. That and, was the emoji. And TweetDeck is like they the no the emojis pop up a little differently. I'm looking at it now. It looks surprised, but there are other surprise gifts that don't also convey sadness. I think it's both. Surprise sadly surprised? More context for the listener. What what were we talking about? Guaranteed rate bowl? Guaranteed rate bowl put out a tweet that had a little frowny face that, oh man, oh you just scored a touchdown. Like they're disappointed that Oklahoma scoring a touchdown because that takes OU out of the guaranteed rate bowl picking or pecking order. Whereas we all want to go to the guaranteed rate bowl. Nah, it's one step closer to guaranteed rate bowl. Not if OU wins? Well they gotta get they gotta get to six wins. Gotta get to six, but they don't they don't want to be at eight. I think that's what they were looking at is oh crap, they're they're gonna get to eight. <laughs> I'm just here for the Guaranteed Rate Bowl social media admin who we know is in the weeds with advanced analytics, stats, FPI, all that stuff. And based off seeing one fake field goal in the first half, they're like, oh, I need to run my model. Crap! Oh, he's going to go to the sweatpants bowl, which is now the cheese it bowl. And they're like, no, this can't happen. I'm here for uh, advanced analytics, Guaranteed Rate Bowl social media intern. They get to the Cheez-It Bowl. We can all go to Disney World and just have a hoot. We talked about roller coasters about for about an hour on the drive up here because it's such a long drive. You get into random topics. So well, On the bright side, Hoove, you will have two cohorts to go to Universal with. And the best part is I can hold all your crap because I'll just get hammered at Universal while you guys roller coaster. It'll be perfect. Yeah, Hoove, you said last time you went, you had nobody to ride roller coasters with. Well, I'm right here, man. All right. All right. We'll see. It's a little getting a little ahead of ourselves, but... It's a possibility. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see where they end up. They only need one more win to get to a bowl. Um, feels like they should probably get it, um, but we'll see how it shakes out. If anything, we've learned anything. You don't really know what you're going to get um, with this team on a week-to-week, but a couple of good enough performances in a row and uh, a lot to like about this game. Encouraging signs, I think, from this game is a fair way to put it. Like Brent Venable said in his post game, he said a couple times, they're getting better. And uh, I agree with that. They are getting better, especially defensively. You can see improvement. Are they going to, you know, run through the rest of their schedule? Probably not. But they are improved uh, after the bye week, which, you know, like we talked about before, was a, a bit of an issue before in the previous regime. So come out, put it together, a good performance, and win. you got to like that if you're an Oklahoma fan. So that's it for us. We'll keep on hurling back. we still got like five hours on this drive, or four at least. Four at least to Hoof's house. And Ryan, i got another hour and a half after that. But, you know, it is what it is. We're hurtling through uh, as we go along. Eight games in the books, four to go. Oklahoma wins. They're five and three. Be sure to check out allsooners.com. There is a load of coverage there for you. Full postgame reaction from Brent Venables, coordinators, players, Dylan Gabriel, as well as the star of the night, uh, Zach Schmidt. All there for you on allsooners.com. Postgame stories from these guys. Postgame highlights. Our postgame wrap-up we did. Um, as well and of course keep up with us all throughout the coming week as we preview the Baylor game press conferences and of course our midweek podcast on Wednesday previewing that game you can catch it on iTunes, Spotify, Google iHeart wherever you get your podcast if you have an Amazon able device just say Alexa play the All Sooners podcast also post on our website allsooners.com click on the playlist on your phone, your tablet or your computer and you can watch that show on Who's YouTube page John Hoover Media. That's it for us from somewhere in the middle of nowhere, Missouri. Alongside Ryan Chapman and John Hoover, I'm Josh Calloway. We'll catch you guys next time.